0: So we are going to talk now this afternoon about we are needed. And we, we want to remember that we are needy. So you kind of can't separate out being needy from being needed. They kind of happen simultaneously. And so we, we remember the um, passages that we looked at, 1 Corinthians 12. We are the one body, members of each other, um, where Christ is... The head, the cornerstone, the many parts. Um, Romans 12 would be another passage that you could look at where there's one body and different gifts, and we use them. Um, we don't have the same function together. In Ephesians 4, the one body growing up together, um, growing into maturity. So God has ordained that we are all different. There was, it was never God's intention that, that we would all be the same We all have different strengths and weaknesses, different gifts and abilities, different roles in the body of Christ. And we are also all marred by the curse of sin and brokenness in different ways as well. But it's interesting, it's kind of like, um, you know, a diamond has you know, if you ever look at a diamond or when I look at my ring, you know, depending on which way you turn it or look at it, there's different facets to the ring, different parts of the ring that you see. And that's, I think, one small image of how we are as his people, kind of reflecting him in different ways. So our our first point here is that we are becoming who we truly are in Christ as we are needed in his body. Remember our relational glasses about how we're growing and changing for the better together. As we're dependent on God, we relate with others in neediness and being needed. It's true humanity on display. And we can't help but share the comfort we've received. We see this in um, 2 Corinthians 1. And <clears throat> one way that I've personally experienced this, I, I moved back from South Africa um, and was probably in the States uh, maybe a year um, but I had started up in um, at Westminster Seminary in Pennsylvania in January 2010. And that summer, my brother ended up dying very unexpectedly. Suddenly, um, he had a two-year-old. Um, and I am thankful. I can, I can say that I had faithfully shared my faith with him, but I, I will never know um, if he truly knew the Lord. He was very opposed to God. But um, I was thankful that I had a semester already kind of in in time, really, to have developed relationships there in that community. And I remember one girl in particular, her brother had also suddenly passed away. Um, I don't remember how long before my brother died. And she just was a a particular comfort of God to me because of what she had walked through. She knew how to anticipate the holidays without, um, like, how would I be thinking about each phase of the year? And and even just calling and checking on me, not necessarily you know, for, for any purpose um, besides that. And so we, we comfort one another with the comfort that we have received. And yet, there is something greater that God does. In his kingdom, our ability to comfort is not limited by our experiences. Our God is the God of all comfort, and he dwells in us. And he is growing us and being a comfort to one another. So we are placed in this body together. And it is our relationship with Christ that is the foundation of of our very being. And he leads us towards himself and outward towards others in our neediness. So we're needy, but then we move out of ourselves towards others in love. We give and love out of what he has given us in Jesus I think of the story of John 4 where the woman is at the well and you know, she's offering Jesus water and you know, he says, well, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a cup of water. He gives living water of eternal life in us. And then she goes and she tells others about who Jesus is. This woman who was very needy, who in a culture where she would not be accepted, she is telling those very people about who Jesus truly is. He is using her and um, encouraging others, pointing others to the living water that Jesus offers. Sanctification or changing for the better is 100% dependent on God. Like we need him to do that 100%. And it is 100% our responsibility as well to live as we truly are by grace. And there's mystery there. Somehow we can't quite understand it, and, and I think God's pretty wise in how he determined that. But we go with what we do know. We go with who we know. We go with the Lord. So a direct way that we see sanctification in our lives is by imaging our faith in loving action before God and yet towards others. So the two greatest commandments are to love God and love others. So, we are needed to build up others. We are needed as his people together. And then Dietrich Bonhoeffer says The church is the church only when it exists for others. The church was never intended to become this ingrown people, it was always intended to draw others in, to image the Lord to others, to be attractive. Remember the the bug zapper that we talked about last night, except we want to zap people to life. So what are the ways that God may already be using you to image him to others in your neededness? A neighbor, a man or woman at the register, another driver, what are those ways? And then we also, were maturing in our, as we love others, we're growing up in maturity. So my example of the parents, you know, as parents, we grow up as we actually relate and engage with one another, we grow up. And I'm imagining I didn't walk down to... I heard that there's some children here. I didn't walk down, but I'm imagining my own children. When I see my children playing with other kids, you know, I'm seeing each of them grow and develop in ways that they, they were intended to be. And I think that's a picture for us to consider. How are we doing that together? And storms of relationship will come, but we're unwavering in our love for other people. Because our trust is ultimately in the Lord. He's our anchor. So I'm adjusting a quote that C.S. Lewis wrote um, a little bit. He wrote it regarding children, but I think it's appropriate for us to consider it. People are not a distraction. They are the most important work. So we reprioritize how God needs us to relate and to love other people. You know, I think about horses, you know, they they have blinders on so that they don't get afraid or don't get distracted. Um, But but I think sometimes we become nearsighted ourselves with our own lives, our own things that we have going on. And how can we take our blinders off to actually see one another? I think you guys have done that wonderfully throughout the weekend. Also, we grow in mercy and wisdom. It's on your outline there. So, God directs us in mercy, or another way to think about that is sacrifice, and He directs us in stewardship or wisdom. So, one helpful way that I think about this is um, Paul Tripp and in Instruments of the Redeemer's Hand. He talks about the circle of responsibility and the circle of concern. And I'm thankful that God ultimately has all of our responsibilities and concerns. But the the responsibilities would be the very things that God would would call us to that these are this is the things that I'm responsible for, and there are other things that we can be concerned for, but they're not really our responsibility. so if we're functioning in ways where we are we are doing things that are not our concerns, then we're not actually sometimes being responsible with what God is calling us to, and then there are other times where we're not um yeah you can kind of flip it the other way. Sorry, my short-term memory is struggling to be able to flip that, but um, you know, we need we need to act appropriately with what God is calling us to. We need his discernment, and so we discern our calling, our ability, our capacities. In different seasons of life, our capacities are different, um, and it's not, I keep this all for myself. Um, God's not in view there. Like, this is kind of think of like precious, you know, this is my time or these are my resources um, or these are my boundaries or what I want or what I need. And it's also not, well, I just love and serve everyone in such a way that, you know, for me right now, I need to remember to, to take a shower and I need to remember to try to, um, to do things that are healthy for myself. Um, and so, we, we look out for our own interest so that we're able to look out to the interests of others. And that's from Philippians 2.4. Sometimes when it, in talking about um, don't be um, conceited or living for selfish ambition, sometimes that can, for some people, they can struggle to actually take care of their own things that God will call them to. So we can be overly self-protective or self-focused and irresponsible, And sometimes we can be overly responsible or others focused that then we are also irresponsible. And this is why we need his wisdom. Something that's also really important is that we are not responsible for how other people respond. We're not responsible for their emotions. We're not responsible for what comes out of their heart. We're not responsible um, for the fruit that's bearing from someone else's response and I think that's really important, because otherwise that, your fear of how somebody else is going to respond is going to keep you from being faithful to what you are called to. We want to seek to alleviate the burdens of others while recognizing our personal limitations. We want to be faithful and responsible, but not irresponsible in either direction. And sometimes we're much more complex, and so sometimes we can be a blend of that. Sometimes we need to drop everything to love someone, and sometimes it requires us to be honest with God and ourselves and others to say no, to not drop everything. For example, a 5.30 phone call at dinner. Well, maybe you need to let the phone ring, or maybe you need to answer the phone. What does love actually look like in that moment? You have to determine with God's wisdom. So it's important for us to trust that God is the keeper of others with his faithful care for them. And I think of Psalm 121. We want to remember his character and remember what a friend for sinners, the saving, keeping, helping, loving, caring with to the end, that that is who God is for them, and we don't have to be God for them. The Lord is our keeper and the keeper of others, um, We remember who he is and who we are not, and he faithfully uses us, but we don't have the power or ability to save or fix another person. It causes trouble when we want to trust in other people for saving and keeping or if we are seeking for others to trust in us for saving or keeping. So we can ask ourselves, what do I have to give today? What has the Lord given me today that I, can, that I can give and love. And it's day-to-day walking. It might even be moment by moment where you are just asking the Lord that question. You know, I'm not very good at meal planning. Um, and one day I had, um, where we moved out to, another mom, her um, her children all got lice, so I related to the parasite and germ, you know, her kids all got lice, and so they had to go and take care of all of that, and so I didn't have the help that day with the carpool that we were doing, Um, and so I kind of was already down one, and then... um, yeah, anyway, I won't go into it, but the Lord really put it in my heart to provide a meal for their family, just knowing that that was really a hard situation, and I wanted to remind them that God saw them, that God cares for them, that, that this long, enduring process, God will help them, and so I thought through what was realistic, and I committed to making them a meal, and and then the meal that I committed to making them, we didn't have the pork roast in the freezer, and so I was like, oh, now, <laughs> now what am I going to do? Um, but we we ended up making something else, um, but it was really interesting to me because um, then there were two families in our church that invited us for dinner, and it was kind of like, Lord, you are so funny. Like, you, you could not plan these kinds of things of how abundant God is for us and his provision. And sometimes it doesn't always happen that way, that God provides for us in such abundant ways when we're giving and loving. But I thought it was a beautiful picture, um, and then I have another friend who's unmarried, and she teaches me to talk about life in other ways besides my children or my marriage. And I remember others, and I'm drawn out of my nearsighted bubble to learn how to engage with people who are in different seasons of life. Then there's this one time where I was at Costco, and I, I'm wearing I'm wearing the infant, and I have the other two, and trying to get them to buckle their seats, I'm loading the van with um, with food, and this dear woman, bless her, she um, came and she just lifted the last thing on the cart, which was like on the bottom, and she just put it in my van, and could think it took her less than 30 seconds, but um, here, that, that just was God's abundant provision for me to remember that he sees me. And I think Wes was traveling out of town or something like that. So it was just in feeling very alone, very helpless, this woman took less than 30 seconds and blessed me and reminding me of who God is. So we can think about that, that sometimes it doesn't have to be the expectation that we would have on ourselves, um, but how can we image his love for others We also give out of his word to each other, um, words of life, words of refreshment. One other quote by um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, The person who loves their dream of community will destroy it. But the person who loves those around them create community. We love more than the ideal of community or even the idea of it. We live it. We love in tangible ways. So we can't change others, but we are called to embody the image of Christ to others. And there's this automatically, there will be this sharpening, this refining, this calling each other to heavenly ways. And I know a lot of you probably have experienced little moments of that all throughout the weekend, where even just these little touch points, just refined and um, more redeemed, not more redeemed, but aware of God's love and care. Also, we know him by relying on his love as we imitate him. So we depend on his love for us as we imitate his love. And that changes us. You know, it is love in action, patience, kindness. We practice these things all the more. So we live humbly, interdependently. In 1 John, we love because he first loved us. You know, we don 't have the ability to do that apart from God helping us to know more of what he 's done. Then I think of the image of He being the vine, and we are the branches or these streams of living water within us. I think sometimes we can also have this misconception where um, you know I need to go fill up I need to go fill up my cup before I can like give or serve or love. And and I understand kind of the concept of that, but that actually kind of goes against God's way because his streams within us are living. They flow. It is it is who we are in him. And um yeah, just thinking of a branch it doesn't somehow like try to come off of the vine to root itself down in the ground to draw up water. It's like his spirit in, is in us providing what we need. Then, in the midst of the brokenness and broken world, um, there's suffering and circumstances, messiness, misunderstanding, weakness, and there's trouble. And so, how can we be an encouragement to each other? Progressive sanctification in relationships doesn't always feel nice, does it? I don't know. Any of you? Does it always feel nice? Um, There's conflict, and forgiveness is required. And yet he provides more grace. There is a way through. And this is why we need openness in our relationships. This is why we need honesty with each other. Are we really willing to allow there to be room to grow together? And um, I can't remember the woman's name that I was talking to. I think it was you. Um, But I was thinking of our when our team went to South Africa, um, I remember our director was just reminding us, you know, you put one sinner you know, in a room, and it's like, well, that's just one sinner. But like, you put, I don't know, 20, however many of us there were, it's like, that's a lot of sinners in one, <laughs> in one small space. Um, and, and I think we can forget the reality of that sometimes. So, so we want to we go directly to someone if they've offended us. We want to give opportunity for God to use that to grow us and to grow them. We also we want to take the log from our own eye. We want to watch ourselves and how, how are we before God? What are the ways that we need to grow? And then we can take this speck out, which I, I really appreciated this image um, that David Poulsen gave one, t- one time. You know, if I, if I came down to any one of you and like went up like this to your eye and put my finger on your eye, that would be quite vulnerable. Not to mention, if I like, was trying to take something off of your eye, right? So that is how gentle we must be with each other when we go to one another. And the goal is, is reconciliation, and we see in Matthew 18 and Galatians 5 that the goal would be that there would be, that, that person would be restored to Christ in the body and um, each other. <coughs> This is important, too. I think sometimes, as Christians, we don't, we don't know how to think about this, but forgiveness doesn't mean that we shield someone from the consequences of their sin. So sometimes love looks different than it's anticipated. We don't have to act like sin didn't happen. That doesn't mean that we are not covering over them. There may be changes or consequences to make. Um, for example, I'm thinking of You know, if a husband has had an affair on his wife, there's an appropriate way to handle that. But for the wife to have to pretend like that never happened is not appropriate because there is consequence to the choice that he made. And right people in the right way need to be able to help with that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes it feels like wounds um, when we speak truthfully to each other. And then sometimes we know there's not always resolution this side of heaven. We just, we know that. Not everyone has a relationship with the Lord, and sometimes when they do, their heart might not be willing to hear. So we say, Lord, help. Um, How do we respond in imaging him? How do we depend on the Lord to provide what we need moment by moment? He is able to help us reorder the disruption that sin made. You know, remember the blaming, the hiding, the being against, living in fear and shame. In Ephesians 2 and Galatians talks about um, walking in the good works that were prepared beforehand for you. And so there's this way of walking that just images God. There's specific things that he's doing. And we do this all the more loving each other as the day approaches. And this reminds us that God is present with us, that we are on this journey together um, to build each other up. We're participating in his love, and so what does faith and love look like? That would be a question I find myself often asking that question. What does faith and love look like in this very moment? Um, it could look like a lot of things. I mean, even in, my, even in my counseling, I've been in consultation groups where we're kind of discussing, like, how is, you know, where would you go with this person? How would you help direct them to the Lord? And we would all go about it maybe different ways, that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It means that God has given us such creativity and such different ways of thinking about things that it might look a different way for different people. And so, but the, at the heart of that, what does faith and love look like? It's a wisdom question. What does it practically look like to do good and right, to be faithful in the specific relationships we have? And often, it's it's not always what it seems. Or it feels um, it feels unsafe, or it feels hard, um, and sometimes it is the harder thing. Sometimes it doesn't feel um, comfortable to ask someone about their week. I know some churches. You can tell me what you do here. Um, some churches have like a meet and greet during the worship. Do you guys do that? Do you have a meeting greeting where it's kind of like you turn to, now turn to the person beside you. And, and I can often find that really uncomfortable. Um, and, and I'm like, oh, I have to go take my daughter to children's worship. But God is helping me to actually care about the people that are right in front of me um, and to know that, that they are more important than the discomfort that I'm feeling in that moment. And then sometimes it feels uncomfortable to speak hard things to expose darkness, to do differently than how things have been done. Sometimes we're looking evil in the face. We're naming it. We're standing against it. That's really hard to do. But we want to take the fangs out of the serpent. You know, if the serpent is kind of gnashing at us, how can we Take those fangs out, and one way is to expose it, to speak, to um, to be honest. <clears throat> so, another way that we can be needed with others is to hurt in their pain, but out of love, not to disrupt it. For example, um, my. My youngest son, um, he probably sleeps the best, um, and I think that this is probably why I have not gone in to, everyone has different um, views on this, so no judgment on anyone. But, um, but I have not gone in to like, put the passy back in his mouth. So, like when my three-year-old last night was up for two hours in the middle of the night. Thankfully, I wasn't there, but um, that's kind of been a pattern lately. Um, you know, I think you know sometimes we can disrupt each other with how God needs to grow us in ways that are hard. Um, and yet, he—he, he, my son has learned how to do something really well. He has learned how to sleep. But if I. Alleviated that for him, then I'm I'm kind of missing the opportunity. So um, we want to recognize that the Lord is at work and that it is a process. And I um, something else that I've experienced I've experienced two miscarriages and um, and one of them I remember um, it was before we it was before we had Bower and so I didn't even know if I could. children, Um, and so that was really scary time, but there was a baby shower, like several baby showers right around that time, and it was just really hard for me to consider going to a baby shower, Um, and just knowing that I would be very emotional, and so there was wisdom, like trying to decide, is this something that God is, that I, that I need to do, um, That is good for them but I had a good friend and she was willing to be my buddy at the baby shower um, to say I'm going to go with you and if at any point you want to leave we'll leave Um, if you wherever you want to sit we'll sit Um, however I can help comfort you in the discomfort of being reminded of your loss I will do that with you and that was just a picture um, for me and, and sometimes, you know, in my counseling, you know, sometimes people are at a place where they just, they really are struggling with real anger with God. Does that mean that they're not a Christian? Does it mean that God's not at work? It doesn't. It just means that there is a process and God is doing something. But if I sit across from them and I tell them all the things that they already know, then it kind of minimizes who God is with them in the midst of their suffering so we just want to be mindful of how to actually come alongside each other in a way that's helpful. We need a strong theology of suffering. Um, it's interesting, we have some friends in the UK, and their whole medical system is slightly, um, their, their one difference in particular is, or observation that they have actually about the American system is that, um, you know, in the, in the UK, they address the symptoms of medical issues, um, and in the States, it seems as if we 're trying to like prevent them or somehow like not have bodies that are broken um, as if we 're not human and It just was an interesting observation because I think increasingly in our culture we don 't actually know how to handle suffering you know we don 't um, or even life or death or um, all the myriad of things that we um, that we experience in life because we 're so detached from kind of hands-on life, you know, we're kind of, I think, needing to grow in our understanding of suffering or or life and what we face. But um, sometimes we expect that we shouldn't suffer, and I think that that would be a falsehood. So how can we just remind each other there is suffering, and yet we can suffer with eyes on Jesus? Because we're after something far greater than just pain alleviation. And I think about the passage in Hosea 7 where we're either crying out to our pillow or we're crying out to God. We're knowing his dwelling in us and for us in the midst of the suffering that we're going through. How can we be his presence with people? Again, this can sometimes feel uncomfortable because we, maybe we don't know what to say. Um, but it's better to say we don't know what to say than to not say anything um, I think of um, Janie, again, this woman from Pennsylvania who was a mentor of mine. You know, when my brother died, it was a very humbling time for me. Like, I, I could not function. Um, and I, here I was in these seminary classes having to write, like, papers and, like, sit through three-hour lectures. And I was working. And, you know, um, yeah, I'm thankful for the people that the Lord gave to help support me. But, Janie, I remember she would say to me, you know, um, God can handle your questions. How can you lean in and embrace where the Lord has you with this wave of grief that's coming over? This side of heaven, this is the most suffering that you will ever know. Think about that. This side of heaven, any suffering that we experience, it will be the most of suffering that we will ever really know doesn't make it feel any better in that moment, but it's helpful. And we trust that we don't stay in this stuck place because of who God is, and yet there are ways that we can actively wait if we're in a hard place. We can allow others in and be honest about that. It's, it's been interesting. My, um, my sister-in-law and nephew actually live in this area, and it's been a lot harder for me because I'm reminded often of my brother is not here and so I have had to I have had to um, kind of voice that more and actually kind of experience grief in ways that I haven't experienced it and so um, I would encourage you to consider how can you be that for one another Um, we can help put words on other people's experiences honestly, as the Psalms do. So we want to give them opportunity to to be where they are. We can also tend to minimize what someone's experiencing by saying things, just trust God, trust Jesus. Um, I understand what we're seeking to do. We're seeking to point people to remember who God is, but sometimes it's not helpful, and sometimes it's hurtful. Because it's kind of an assumption that, whoa, well, because they're feeling what they're feeling, they're not trusting God. That's not necessarily true. And so we do want to point people to God, but we want to be very slow and careful in the way that we do that. Our participation makes God known through our doing. So there's this walking. There's this physical way in which God is imaged. And we, we want to be faithful in a way that hurts Can you think about that? How would, for yourself, just think for one second, like, to be faithful in a way that would hurt. Like, what is one way that you can bear be impacted by someone in such a way that you would feel the hurt of that? Or maybe that other person is not faithful, um, and you're having to bear with where God has them. That would be being faithful in a way that hurts We want to be patient and love. Um, Again, there are further heavenly things happening than what we physically see happening in us, happening in those around us. And in some ways, we're knowing Christ and his sufferings as we walk with each other. Sometimes it doesn't make sense in this world. There's something otherworldly that the Lord is doing. And yet, he gives himself to us, which is a treasure we wouldn't have known otherwise. We can also remember with and for others that God will remain faithful to them, bringing about their transformation. And then how can you really pray for other people in such a way that you truly know them? Not just the surface of what you see, but where you truly know them. And how might you even take what they would ask you for circumstantial change and pray something even far greater for them? And how might you actually pray with them? You know, I find myself sometimes telling someone, I will pray for you, and then I get distracted by something. So how can we truly pray with and for each other? How can we truly know others? Um, some of the questions, you know, that you all have done during your interviews, like, those are, those are really fun, and, and I've enjoyed them. And, and I think that that image is for us. How do we actually really know each other? Or do we have assumptions about those that we're around? And there might be ways how can we um, speak truth to each other. Who is God? Who are we? What does it mean that he is ours and that we are his? And this can, um, it can look like First Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So there's different ways that speaking the truth in love can look like. How can we speak a fitly fitly spoken word that is lifting us upward? How can we give little sips of the Lord's refreshment to each other along this long journey? Words that bring life and light. How can we speak grace, hymns, songs, spiritual songs as we journey in this broken world together? Consider the one another passages and, and really flesh those out. What does this actually look like? in my relationships? How can we slow down, unplug, engage in real relationships and his creation? How can we relate with him and with each other? Then we think of the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They're not just characteristics. They're things that will take fruit and will look specific ways. And if we never risk relationally, then we will miss out on the joy and kindness of experiencing God through those relationships that he has chosen for us. We can't let fear or actual um, negative things that happen negate the miraculous work that God can do through his people. So, um, where are we headed in making God visible and being needed? Each one of us has a part to play. I think of, and want to remind you of um, David Powelson's images of sanctification. Sometimes we leap like gazelles, other times we're trudging, crawling, not moving but facing the right direction, asleep, wandering off. We are a gift to one another along the way, whether we are leaping like gazelles or the people around us are leaping like gazelles. Okay, well, if someone's trudging, how can you help them? How can you help them trudge? Or if they're crawling, can you get down on the floor and crawl along with them? If they're not moving, but they're facing the right direction, do you just lay with them, your hand upon them, reminding them God is near? Do you... Do you Help inch them forward. They're asleep. What will you do? What will love look like? They're wandering off. How can you help gather them back? So we remember our God. We remember who we are in Jesus. Truly, his true humanity. We live needy, dependent on God, and interdependent on one another. And yet we live needed growing into maturity, being built up together. So that's what I leave you to consider, is is what does it look like for you to continue growing in God and what he has for you in the relationships that he has placed and how can you love, how can you come alongside. So let me pray. Father, we thank you that... um, that even though we are needed, Lord, we, what a gift that you would take sinners and, and do anything godly, do anything that reflects you, do anything that images you as we live in relationship with each other. Would you help us to have your wisdom and insight to know what does that actually look like today, this moment and will you remind us that that our standing, our abilities come from you, um, that we have been placed here together. And that we we, even though we come alongside as those who are needed with each other, we haven't arrived. We are just as needy, and yet we are in this together. We thank you, Lord, that you have gifted us with your presence in each other and that there is something far greater that you're doing that we cannot see. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.